0: from some of your favorite BJJ Mental Models coaches, including me. It's like having your own seminar, you spoiled little whippersnappers. So, what are you waiting for? Subscribe to BJJ Mental Models Premium right now. Get off my lawn and go train. Hey, welcome to BJJ Mental Models Bonus Edition. I'm Steve Kwan. BJJ Mental Models is your guide to a conceptual and intelligent jiu-jitsu approach. And today, again, from the Isle of Vancouver, the taint professor himself, Mr. Robert J. Bernanke. Robert, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Did uh, you get your tech woes sorted out? Uh,
1: Yes. (laughs) I moved into my new house with a brand new computer and one gig internet. And then... Just before I moved, my mom jammed my microphone into a box and almost broke the cord. So I was worried that I didn't get my tech woes sorted out, but it seems to be working okay.
0: I like how whenever we want to record with you, the biggest hurdle to get over is like, how is your mom going to screw this up? Is it going to be that your mom's internet doesn't work because you're at her house? Or is it going to be because your mom jammed something on top of your mic? You know, this is the thing that drives me nuts is when you spend a ton of money on expensive tech equipment and then someone just picks it up and just shoves it into a box because they don't understand how delicate it is. Like I, I see this so much where people will drop all of this money on like, phones or iPads or something and then they'll just like throw it into their purse with a bunch of keys and then they're surprised that it all gets fucked up right so anyway lesson learned
1: somebody said to me once uh in reference to their girlfriend like tossing their phone onto the table he's like you realize that's a computer right like that's a $1000 computer you would you take your laptop and like chuck it halfway across the room i don't think so then why the fuck are you doing that with your phone
0: It's actually miraculous that these modern day phones last as long as they do. I mean, everyone complains about how, oh, well, you know, these phones, they're planned obsolescence and they're only good for a few years. I mean, if you actually think about the amount of abuse that the regular person puts their phone through and how just incompetent most people are at taking care of their things, it's quite impressive that they last as long as they do.
1: I think you should have ended your sentence with how incompetent most people are period.
0: Well (laughs) that's kind of the general thesis of this show as you know is just slapping people in the face with their own incompetence and on that note um, today we wanted you to educate us Rob. I know you've got a new instructional out of all about the arm drag. You're big into dragging some arms. Uh, I am very disappointed that you did not go with your original planned name for this instructional and instead you gave it something kind of vanilla like rob bernacki's arm drag series but hey at the end of the day good content is good content right so tell me about it buddy what do we got here
1: the the official title is the um, arm drag and two-on-one guard formula so it's about arm drags and the two-on-one guard and how those things work together but yes the the preferred title that I certainly was pushing for was Rob Bernanke's drag race, but we did receive a missive from a lawyer saying that we could very easily be sued by one Rue Paul, and so <laughs> we figured discretion was the better part of valor and just gave it a, a, a vanilla name, as you say.
0: Dude, getting sued by Rude Paul, that would be like a career-defining moment for you. I mean, talk about breaking out into the mainstream. You know,
1: I, it, it's one of those things where it's like the Streisand effect. You wonder if it's actually worth – like the publicity might be <laughs> <laughs> even greater than the uh, the cost. But, uh, yeah, you never know. Uh, you don't want to leave it in somebody else's hands. So, it's uh, – yeah. But the, the, the instructional is um, – It's designed to be a companion to the previous instructional. So in March, we released, um, so Stefan and I uh, at Grapple Arts over there, uh, we filmed these back-to-back instructionals recently. And the first one was the Kazushi and uh, grip fighting formula, specifically from the guard. Uh, And so the idea was to follow up on that. And we kind of wanted to give people a, um, I guess, a step-by-step process for creating a game that includes something that frankly most people don't learn at most academies that all good grapplers have these skills and they develop them through necessity if they compete and some academies do teach it but there's a lot of stuff the like connective tissue or the glue or the you know the substrate whatever you want to call it it's stuff that you need to be good at if you're going to execute the moves that you're learning but most people don't have access to the information. Uh, although that's changing, the, you know, ours are not the only products out there. There tends to be more and more um, information recently on grip fighting and kuzushi. And so now that that's out there, this instructional sort of follows up on that, which is like if you, if you kind of know how to play guard, you've got some guard retention, you've got some grip fighting, you're going to be getting to these positions. So, so now that you've got your, your guard established, you know, you've maybe got some grips. Uh, the idea with this instructional is to give you – how to utilize, particularly in Nogi, the, the most dominant form of grip control is going to be two-on-one because we don't have the luxury of, uh, you know, lapel grips, sleeve grips where we can keep somebody in place. If you're not grabbing somebody's one arm with two of your arms, you're unlikely to be able to control them nearly as well. So the, the two-on-one guard, whether it's two-on-one gripping at the wrist or two-on-one gripping at the wrist and the elbow gives you this dominant form of control, and then the arm drag follows from there. There are various um, variations on the arm drag. We include the, um, the two-on-one elbow arm drag, the cross arm drag, the 1.0 arm drag, and the 2.0 arm drag, and then give you a bunch of different situations for it. Uh, in particular, I think most people tend to view the arm drag as a really specific technique. It's like, I'm gonna do an arm drag to go to your back if I'm playing guard, or I'm going to do an arm drag to get to a takedown if we're in a standing position. Uh, but really, it like so it tends to be thought of as like a butterfly guard technique, sometimes a closed guard technique, and then obviously a standing technique. Whereas in reality, once you understand it as a simple lever mechanic to the shoulder, you can initiate uh, arm drags from pretty much any guard. Uh, you know, obviously you can do it standing, uh, but any guard, Delaheva, reverse Delaheva you know the obviously the closed guard and the butterfly guard uh, but they, we give people tons of situations where they can apply it uh and how to apply it and then we create uh, an awareness of how to use training methodology to develop skills so I, I know we've talked about fuck your jiu-jitsu uh in the past so we go into a lot of detail on how to develop your fuck your jiu-jitsu skills how to create specific situational roles and we give lots of examples of it uh and uh you know, narrated footage of me doing fuck your jujitsu to develop the two-on-one guard and the arm
0: drag in various situations. Awesome. I like the approach you're taking here where you've kind of got two sides of the same coin, both with a different instructional, one on the grip fighting and Kazushi end of things, and then the other on the actual arm drag. Something that I feel is that most jujitsu jitsu schools really don't put a lot of thought into kazushi or off balancing, and that leads into just less than optimal jiu jitsu and certainly less than optimal arm drags. I mean, you can make it. Pretty far in the jujitsu world without really understanding or applying kazushi effectively. And a big part of that, of course, is just the grippiness of the gi, right? Especially if you're in the gi, it is totally possible that rather than focusing on off balancing your opponent, you can try to just basically tie them up. And I mean, for myself, for example, I got to a, a pretty decent brown belt level before I even really started thinking about applying off balancing into my game. And this is something that, interestingly, I I was talking to and training with the judo black belt and we were doing some stand up and this was kind of some of the feedback that he gave me which is that you know I was so focused on trying to do the technique perfectly that I was actually getting in my own way because you can do like every step of a technique perfectly and still you'll probably fail to execute it if you didn't off balance the guy first you are far better off focusing on trying to continuously off balance the guy and just never let him get his base properly far more effective to do that than it is to actually just try to do like perfect techniques from a dead stop and of course the arm drag is in jujitsu land one of the most common and and probably like phase one ways of getting kazushi on someone and like you said it it applies from almost every position, right? Just the ability to take someone's arm, pull it out of alignment, pull it across the center. Um, you know, if you're doing anything in jujitsu, normally you're starting off at a grip fight range and that's the perfect opportunity to go for arm drags. Is this instructional of yours, is it predominantly for no-gi or what is the level of application for gi players like myself?
1: Uh, well, no, it's it's not predominantly no-gi. We, we actually do include very specific uh, ways of applying the arm drag in the gi. So the like obviously the actual grip that you are usually associating with the uh, whether it's the two-on-one or just like the old the arm drag uh, is a no-gi grip. You're gripping at the hand or the wrist and then you're gripping at the elbow. Uh, but those are just control points. Those are just lever points. Uh, and so the the upside of gripping in that fashion is well one it's relatively easy to acquire Two, it's not dependent on the gi Uh, and three, oftentimes, honestly, it's more mechanically advantageous to not grip the gi because in in certain cases, proxy control is superior. In certain cases, it's inferior. If you're trying to actually manipulate, you know, the lever itself, it's often inferior. So I would say that for the most part, people who train in the gi would benefit tremendously from just doing arm drags and two-on-one guards without the gi grips. Because they're just more robust under a lot of circumstances. But for the circumstances, so in that sense, it applies extensively to the gi because that's just how you should do it. Um, But also, we do include a section in the instructional where we go through pretty specifically how to employ the arm drag with the sleeve grip, like at the cuff, and then with the grip at the elbow. And then we include, for instance, one of the reference points is how do you attack arm drags out of a lasso which is obviously something that doesn't exist in no gi so uh, i would say that regardless of whether you play gi or no gi if you want to get better at arm drags this is the product for you
0: (laughs) yeah i like that point about direct versus proxy control i mean we've talked about this prior on the podcast but direct control basically means you're grabbing the body proxy means you're grabbing something attached to the body so in the world of jujitsu that means you're grabbing the pant fabric the sleeve the belt the lapel the collar i generally agree with you on this as well i mean i know that a lot of people advocate strongly for grabbing like the pant fabric or the sleeve fabric in the gi and that has its benefits right i mean the nice thing about grabbing that fabric is because it tends it's an easier stickier grip to just get out of thin air and also if your opponent moves it's quite easy to track and follow them and that that has its uses but i find if you really want to break your opponent's balance it's hard to do that just with Gee grips alone because there is that looseness right because you're not grabbing the body you're grabbing the fabric Um, so i find even in the gi a lot of the time if i really want to off balance my opponent i am trying to get in and actually like grab the body i'm trying to either grab the arm directly or grab the leg directly and use that as like a lever Directly, rather than trying to tie them up in their fabric. I mean, there there is a whole series of strategies around tying someone up with their fabric, but I find there's just something really nice and intuitive and clean about just grabbing the lever directly.
1: Well, yeah, and, and honestly, a lot of the issues that people have with the uh, you know the 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 gi not being as effective for that kind of stuff is just, it's just down to improper instruction and people not being taught how to grip. So, like in the in the previous instructional in the grip fighting one. We talked about how to remove the slack from grips because, like, honestly, most people, and this is one of my issues with teaching people to grapple by having them put on a gi on day one. They end up death gripping and just having awful grip positioning, and it's actually pretty difficult to unlearn. Like, once you've been doing, you know, gripping wrong for a couple of years, uh, you know, unlearning a habit is much more difficult than just making a good one at the start and so uh, you know unfortunately people struggle with this stuff because they're just gripping badly they're not gripping at the right points they're not taking the slack out of the grips uh you know the i mean it's that's probably a you know a discussion for uh, another time but uh i do think that the gi can be used very effectively for kazushi provided you're using the the right gripping points obviously judo guys show that obviously elite uh jujitsu guys show that And, and to Reference to your earlier point about people getting pretty far in the jiu-jitsu world without this stuff. I would argue that that's really only the case in the hobbyist world. I would say in the in high-level competitor world, you're not getting very far in jiu-jitsu without being good at kuzushi because you just will not disrupt people's alignment with it. So unless you have a tremendous attribute, which some competitors do, like there's a You know, there are a lot of steroids out there, Um, but because most people are just doing them anyway, it tends to balance out. So I think that is definitely a consequence of, you know, the, the split between competitors and hobbyists where people can get very far, you know, rank wise, but I would argue not nearly as far skill wise. Uh, without having access to proper Kazushi.
0: Yeah, to clarify, when I say getting pretty far, I mean I'm not I'm not talking about getting to like world championship, but I'm just talking about like out of like Gen Pop training jujitsu, right? You can get to, yeah, you can you can get pretty far, and also it, I mean, very much it comes down to your style, right? The reality is of uh, it's funny I've been talking to Preet about this a lot. The reality is that a lot of hobbyists, especially their primary goal is not to to win and dominate, right? Their goal is to defend and survive. And that's okay, but it's not going to be as optimal as if you can actually win, right? So what I think happens a lot is you can get people who play a very good, solid defensive game. And as a result, they just they're absent that part of their game where they're good at off balancing and going back on the offensive. And they basically just play defense until they get a hail Mary or they see an opening and then they go. Um, but of course, like you said, if you're actually in like a competitive match, that style is suboptimal, right? You should be trying to aggressively dictate the pace of the fight. And that's where I think a lot of the time people, they don't think about grip fighting Kazushi and arm drags, right? I mean, I, you know, if I'm playing in the gym, it is very possible against casual grapplers even right up to like multi-degree black belts it is very possible for me to play a fully defensive game and just try to capitalize on mistakes to go back on the offense but i think that a missing part of much of the jujitsu game is trying to dictate the pace get out of that defensive cycle get back onto an offensive cycle and one of the best ways to do that is with arm drags right because the arm is usually going to be right there
1: that's a really good point because your first point of contact coming out of the defensive cycle is usually going to be now okay now we you know we've reset i've gotten myself out of trouble and what are we going to start doing? We're going to grip fight. The first grip I'm going to get a lot of the time is going to be a grip on the wrist. And even if I'm not all the way, let's say out of a defensive cycle, what's the main grip I'm usually going to be doing a lot of the time? I'm going to be grabbing your hand or your wrist to defend my neck or to break one of your grips. And so in the transition between breaking someone's offensive grip on my defensive cycle and then going into my offensive cycle, the arm drag is the first thing that prevents itself, presents itself, and then also in terms of transition, the arm drag. There's a, a section in the instructional where we talk about the uh, something called the armpit drag, which is, I mean, it's an arm drag, but it's barely an arm drag because you're almost connected to the torso, and that's something you can actually hit. In you know, as a, I'm not a huge fan of the term counter because I think it's abused, but I think. As far as true counters go, the armpit drag is a fantastic counter because somebody can still feel like they're on offense and you can hit them with an armpit drag and reverse the position on them.
0: Yeah, I know you've talked in the past about how you don't believe there's such a thing as a counter. And I I see what you're saying there, right? A, A lot of the time when people say they're counter fighters, I mean... This is not always the case. Like I know that Margot Ciccarelli calls herself a counterfighter and she knows what she's talking about. But a lot of people, when they say I'm a counterfighter, what they're really saying is I'm good at defending myself and hoping that my opponent makes a mistake and leaves an opening. And that's not really a good strategy.
1: When I say there's no such thing as a counter and I say there's no such thing as a scramble, I'm being, you know, slightly hyperbolic to get people's attention. But I'm also using a definition of the term which I think, like you say, people abuse, people who say, oh, I'm going to counter this. And what they really mean is I'm going to escape it at a very late stage. Counters, you know, true counters, which is, yeah, obviously Margot absolutely knows what she's talking about, you know, and, and, you know, in striking, you have counter fighters who are excellent at responding to initial movements. But I think, you know, most people in jujitsu who use the term counter, they use it, in the sense that if I can draw a boxing analogy, um, which seems to be the go-to thing for instructors in um, (laughs) jiu-jitsu, they do the equivalent of saying, I'm going to counter the left hook by letting you hit me flush in the jaw and then like moving a little bit, not getting knocked out, and then hitting you back.
0: Yeah, the the Homer Simpson approach, right? Like, I'm going to let you unload on me and I'm going to try to survive it, which is not really... Counterfighting—that is damage absorption, right? I mean, if you like, if you want to be a true counterfighter, like Anderson Silva is a great example. A, a poor example would be someone like Chuck Liddell, right? Who's basically came claim to fame was what you just described, which is unload on me, and then I will unload on you, and I will do more damage to you than you did to me. That—that's not really counterfighting. That's just you know absorbing damage and looking for openings, which is not ideal. And I—I I think that in jujitsu we do abuse that a lot because the the beauty of jujitsu is that the defensive side of it is so powerful that you can actually coast on it quite far, right? I mean, like you said, you know, you can, if you have a good defensive game, you can survive for a long time. And against a mediocre opponent, eventually they probably will leave an opening that you can exploit. But really, if you want to actually be the best version of yourself that you can be, you need to learn to try to switch from defense to offense, which is where the arm drag comes up. I mean, a good example I can give personally is, you know, being a smaller guy, right? I, of course, over the course of my jujitsu career, got very good at learning to defend and regard and turtle and reset and regard. And I I was happy with my defense, but what I found was like I would just wind up defending forever. You know, yes, I could block your pass attempt and maybe I could turtle or regard. And then I'm just right back in guard. And then you're going to try and pass me again. And if I just keep defending after, you know, no matter how good my defense is after 15 minutes of doing that, eventually you're going to pass or something. So you need to start looking for ways to then go on the offense. And this was a big wake up for me, which is in the process of trying to, to regard or reset rather than just regarding and then going to that position and then letting you attack me again ideally what i want to do is in that transition i want to try to snare your arm your neck or your leg so that we don't go into a neutral position where you can attack me but now i have a lever and that's where the arm drag is so powerful right if you can catch that in like a regard or a turtle or a reset now you're not resetting into a neutral game you're resetting into a position where you have a lever and that means you're not stuck in this never-ending defensive downward spiral
1: well yeah and the the interesting thing about uh, the arm drag as far as like gi versus no gi is that, you know, in no gi for the most part, we're arriving at the arm drag because we've won a hand fight and we've actually gripped someone's hand or wrist. Whereas in the gi, if you're talking about going from defense, particularly defending your guard, you know, the, the, at least when you're dealing with standing passers, the predominant method of control for the passer is going to be to grab the pant leg. And that offers you a guaranteed point of reference for hitting an arm drag. Anytime somebody goes to grab your pants, you will either from a grip break or even just from using a direct grip on the elbow, be able to attack an arm drag. So it's a, uh, I would argue in, in some circumstances, those specifically, it's probably a superior technique in the gi because you can't guarantee that you will win a hand fight you know, in no gi, if the other person is just faster, stronger, has better reach or whatever, you may not win the hand fight. But in the gi, you can guarantee pretty much that someone's going to grab your pants to try to pass your guard. And so that means you will be afforded a, an opportunity at that arm drag.
0: Yeah. I'd also say that in the gi, the importance of the dexterous nature of hands comes into play a lot more right because there's just so many more gripping opportunities so what often happens in the gi is people are going to lead with their hands because they want to grab fabric right it's so powerful Um, in no gi, you have the luxury of you know going into leg entanglements for example it's a lot harder to do that i find anyway in the gi i mean i i am far from an elite leg locker but i find it's hard because in the gi people lead with their hands and they're going to be trying to grab you right away so the the best thing to do is attack that leading edge right which in this case is going to be their pause just go after them go right into an arm drag well and the
1: thing about the you know if we're talking about being a leg locker you're going to find and i think mean, this is you know we can kind of split off into a topic about kneeling passers versus standing passers and i mean uh, the great thing about arm drags i kind of alluded to this earlier is that people tend to think of arm drags as being at least if we're not including the you know the standing takedowns variations people tend to think of arm drags as being something that you do against kneeling passers Um, we give tons of examples in the instructional on how to use them against standing passers but if you're a good leg locker and people who would normally pass standing against you decide to now go to the knees play a very conservative game try not to let you get underneath of them your point of access to their legs is going to be really limited. Even if you are trying to be a butterfly player, people can really be passive and not engage with your, uh, with your legs uh, and not give you their hands. But if you start firing arm drags at them, they're going to, like the usual response you'll get from good people when you fire off an arm drag and threaten the back, is they're gonna post the leg on the side that you're going to the back as a blocking device. And soon as they do, you get a free entry into the leg. So, like, if you're a good leg locker and you're getting stymied by stallers, the arm drag is the solution.
0: Yeah, absolutely. One thing I'd want to ask you on the topic of arm drags here you know, when I started training jujitsu, you know, like everyone else, I was taught the arm drag, right? And I was told this is a great way to get to someone's back, right? So, you drag the arm and then you're on their back. And what I found was that it's actually quite hard to just do that from a dead stop right what happens a lot of the time of course if you pull someone's arm their natural reaction is going to be to pull back and that means you're probably not going to get the thing you want right out of the gate and so i abandoned the arm drag for a while because i erroneously thought it was of low value if it did not give me what i want right away and this is a mistake that i think a lot of people make early on in jiu jitsu i know i have where i would try a technique or a tactic and it would not give me the exact result that the instructor told me it would and so i'd think ah eh, this just isn't really ideal and i'd move on to something else but my feeling on things like the arm drag now is that it's still valuable even if you don't get to the back as you intended right just the fact that you can off balance someone is going to create openings the
1: the way that the instructional is structured we obviously do a lot of concept at the beginning and one of the concepts that we introduce is you know when we use an arm drag we are trying to threaten the back but if we don't get the back we usually will also have an arm bar if we don't get the back we usually often have a leg entry if we don't get the back we usually will have a single leg So as long as you keep playing the dilemma between am I going to your back or am I arm barring you? Am I uh, going to your back or am I coming up on a single? Once you understand that it's part of a, a system of attacks that just utilizes the arm drag as the initial alignment break, And then you just have to be able to follow that alignment break wherever the most obvious next opening is. Then it becomes very usable. Uh, And Mm -hmm. frankly, the reason that people have trouble with the arm drag to the back is, you know, as you mentioned, people tend to row and pull their arm back as a response to the arm drag. That's honestly a consequence of the way the arm drag is mostly taught to people, which is they get taught the like I would call it like the wrestling arm drag, which is basically grab the hand grab the elbow and then row. And so the way the arm drag is mostly taught is as I, I would call it an equation is I'm going to get a grip and then I'm going to try to row. And if your row is more powerful than my row or your reaction is more powerful than mine, then you can either negate my arm drag or you can redrag me. That's something that we discussed in the instructional is like the threat of the redrag. And that's just something that is again it's a consequence of how most people learn the arm drag the way that we do the arm drag in the instructional or at least one of the or several of the variations involves uh, using what I like to call a ratchet lever which is not actually a thing but it's just an easy way to explain it to people which is using a grip on the wrist to use the forearm as a uh, as a ratchet to rotate the humerus and this internally rotates the shoulder and pins your opponent's hand towards their body, which means they're no longer able to activate their row, which means you have more uh, rotational control to expose the back and actually attack it. Whether they are able to stop that back attack or not is irrelevant because how they have to stop it is by committing a lot more of their resources to the defense than just stiffening up and doing a, a, a row. So hopefully that gives a bit of context as to why this instructional is so important for people to get if they've had this like, sort of yeah. experience that you had.
0: Yeah, I, I've started applying that general principle of trying to ratchet pretty much everything now, if I can, because like you said, right, if you pull... Right against someone's musculature. They're primed in a position where they can use their body power to pull back. But if you put that ratchet twist onto something, then it takes that arm out of alignment and they no longer have that advantage, right? It's much easier to pull against someone's joint than to pull against the biceps and triceps in their arms. So, yeah, I I think that that's something that interestingly I've been kind of experimenting around with and I can't wait to get back onto the mats and try it is just this idea of not just pulling straight back um, and then getting into like an arm drag versus. arm drag scenario but also putting a bit of a twist on it so that it's no longer a 50 50 because i think that's where people get discouraged with the arm drag is they are taught like you mentioned earlier that your opponent can redrag and you know no one wants to go into a fight where they do a move and it can just as easily be countered into the other move so if you twist your opponent and you apply that ratchet then it makes it much harder for them to just redrag and turn the move against you
1: yeah exactly i mean uh, the you know the the goal with developing the arm drag is that it becomes a a potent offensive tool a good counterfighting tool but not something where you have to risk immediately being countered uh the you know the the nature of you know hopefully ideally the nature of jiu jitsu is that we're not entering into a entirely athletic contest uh, obviously it's an athletic contest at the highest levels but you know the reason people like me and you, the you know the nerds of the world, enjoy jujitsu is that you can win, even if you're not the superior athlete. And so to teach the arm drag as a move that is just based on timing and speed and athleticism, I I don't think that that's the purest jujitsu way of doing it. I think incorporating that bit of uh you know body mechanics and uh, and just understanding the technique and understanding how to limit your opponent's ability to respond with, with any sort of you know, athletic movement is the essence of what we're doing. And so for, for the arm drag to live up to that, it, it has to be a little bit more mechanically advantageous than it is the way it's presented to most people.
0: I think the other advantage to the arm drag too is that you can use it much like you would use a jab in striking. It's a good opening salvo when you're trying to just engage with someone initially. There is that threat. You're doing more than just wandering into the person's grip fight. Uh and I as I train more, I kind of look more for these attacks, these low commitment attacks that I can do as I'm entering into the fight range just to keep my opponent off base to set up more powerful attacks. And I find that like the arm drag is one of those things that you can do, right? Where you can you can at least try it. You can minimize the risk to yourself and it can open up a sequence of events that allow you to go into more of your power moves and get in closer. So I think if you think of it sort of like a jab, that can be a very powerful way of thinking of techniques like the arm. Well,
1: drone. yeah, absolutely. I think in general, the, the the term that I use when when I'm uh, teaching this to my students, this idea to my students is like, we call it, it's a, it, it's a free technique. Like this is free. In other words, you get to go for it. And if it doesn't work, the consequences to you are zero. Uh, And in that context, it's like I said, it's a no brainer to get good at it because there are techniques that people spend an inordinate amount of time on developing that are not free. They're very high cost. You know, you go for it. If it doesn't work, you're fucked or you're in a worse position or whatever. Uh, And so if you have a realistic idea of, what is the cost associated with attempting this technique then uh, you can build a much more realistic um, like game plan where you know for example and when I say free I don't even just mean in terms of the cost of like if I try it and it doesn't work I'm no worse off positionally but if I try it and it doesn't work I'm no worse off in terms of conditioning like the arm drag is such a low-intensity movement uh, whereas if I try to spam like Toreando attempts on you, you know, I mean, A, I can be countered. I can potentially uh, end up losing my balance and getting swept and all that kind of stuff. But if the other person just sits there and frames me and I'm running side to side and trying to push their legs out of the way, I throw four or five attempts like that at you. I'm fucking exhausted. So it's, that's a very high cost technique if you're not doing it in the right context. Uh, you know, with the arm drag, you can fire off an arm drag at someone. And if they just pull away from you, you're like, oh, whatever. And you've basically slightly moved your arms. So the cost to you in terms of conditioning is next to nil.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I have tried as I get older and further down the line to look at everything I do as a game of probabilities, right? I want to make sure that I am keeping the probability of my victory maximally high in jujitsu. And I try to avoid situations where I'm really committed to the result unless I know I'm going to get it. And to your point, there's a lot of techniques that are high commitment and there's a lot that are low commitment. And I think that especially at a more junior level people get overly infatuated with techniques without considering this right like a lot of you know i mean in judo they have a name for this they call it sacrifice throws there are a lot of sacrifice techniques in jujitsu where if you fail the consequences can be dire and it's always a good idea to look for those techniques that have low consequences to failure because those probably in most cases should be your plan a right if you've got a bunch of different options on the table and one of them has a lower risk of failure than the others, it's usually a good thing to start with that. And the arm drag is a great example of that. If it doesn't work out, I mean, as long as you do it properly, the odds of your opponent being able to make you pay for it are, are pretty slim, right? Same with like um, I mean, in the gi one of the reasons I love the collar drag is for a similar reason, right? If you get that grip, there's really no big risk to yanking on your opponent's collar. And it's just a good thing to do, especially as an opening and attack and to create some Kazushi. So I think the arm drag is a powerful and overlooked weapon in that regard.
1: 100% and I mean it, 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 when it comes to that that you know conditioning cost the collar drag has a much higher cost in terms of trying to pull somebody
0: yeah you got to get their whole body weight off balance
1: yeah exactly
0: yeah and it also the collar drag often in many cases it's kind of a, a later stage engagement too because depending on the grip like if you want to get the actual like grab the back of their lapel behind the neck collar drag you're pretty late into the grip fight at that point right whereas the arm drag is great because you can do that before you've even truly connected like before you've actually got your hands on your opponent it can be the first grip that you get so as a result it can be the way that you begin the grip battle
1: yeah exactly um so I, we hopefully people have a pretty good idea of the arm drag side of this i should touch on the two-on-one guard side of this uh probably like if people haven't aren't familiar with what the two-on-one guard is. Uh, there's a ton of footage out there of Marcelo Garcia rolling. I think there's quite a bit of footage of the, the DDS guys rolling. They use it quite a bit. But probably the, the like the coolest example of this is where uh, – I mean, I, I you know I, I think a lot of people have probably seen the footage of Marcelo rolling with Eddie Bravo when he visited his gym. Uh, and, and I mean, he's done it to any number of visitors. Like if you're um, a member of MG in Action and you've seen him do this – you know, he'll grab your wrist, like if we're, if he's in a seated butterfly guard, he will grab your wrist, your right wrist with his right hand, so like a cross grip, and he'll grab your right elbow with his left hand, and so that's the two-on-one elbow grip, and that's the foundation of the two-on-one guard, and what you'll see him do with this is amazing, like one of the coolest moves, and uh, Stefan and I have a, a video on Stefan's channel uh, teaching the technique, basically you, you you get this grip, and when the person like gives you tension backwards, you use it to elevate them and instantly take their back. So this particular grip is a, is a guard unto itself, you can use it to manipulate people, sweep them, hit triangles, arm locks, uh, it's a great segue into the arm drag, it's a great segue into the shoulder clamp. Uh, so the, the, the two-on-one guard is a complementary guard that you can play either when the arm drag itself is not immediately available or as a, a guard that you can then use to segue into the arm drag or play by itself. So that, that's the other aspect of the instructional is, is just teaching people the two-on-one uh, grip and guard. And there are a lot of really small details to this uh, grip that make it functional or entirely non-functional. I was really fortunate to get uh, a series of private lessons from Eddie Cummings about six years ago and he's an expert at this uh, grip Uh, he developed a lot of interesting details from watching high-level wrestlers and he was generous enough to share those details with me and that was kind of the foundation of that guard at our academy Uh, and and so that's that's where that that whole system came from
0: yeah i love the two-on-one guard when i was first taught that i was um i was called it was called i believe the cross guard or the cross sleeve guard where i heard it from but just the it's so powerful because just the ability to pull your opponent's arm across their own center once you get someone into that it's so hard to get out of that it's it's a very very offensive weapon from the bottom in a way that a lot of other guards don't feel like you know a lot of the time if you're the person on top if the guy's got you snared up in some sort of guard you feel like you got something going on but if someone actually plays that two-on-one and you can't even turn to face them it sucks
1: yeah and it's 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 almost like the nogi version of spider guard and like you know if you get caught up in somebody's spider guard it can feel very similar. It's like, what the hell am I going to do? My arms are just totally tied up. Uh, Whereas most guards tend to be more, at least against standing passers, tend to be more about controlling people's legs than their arms. Uh, But this guard, yeah, like you said, it allows you powerful rotational control. It denies your opponent the ability to make passing grips on you, Uh, which, I mean, even with the spider guard, you still have these complementary pant grips that you can make. So if you're good at shutting down spider guard... You still have these, uh, the, these different passing options. Whereas with the two-on-one guard, once somebody gets it on you, literally the only thing you can do is back up and grip, break the grips. You cannot advance through it. It's too dominant a control
0: yeah yeah with spider guard at least i mean as as bad as it can be when you get tied up at least you have the benefit of still feeling like you're facing your opponent face to face (laughs) whereas with with two on one guard if it's played effectively like the whole idea is you cannot do that anymore it makes it very very hard to actually fight someone when you're kind of looking away to the side yeah absolutely Cool. Well, Rob, I mean, this sounds awesome. Where do people pick this thing up if they want to check it out?
1: Uh, grapplearts.com and uh, the Grapple Arts Master app. If you don't already have that on your phone, definitely download it. It's got a crap ton of free stuff. I've got a bunch of instructionals on there with Stefan, so you can check those out. Um, and, uh, yeah, if... Uh, if if you don't want to give Stefan money and you really want to give me money then check out uh, bjjconcepts.net or .com either will get you there. And we do have some material uh, especially on the 2 on 1 guard on the site uh, but this is this particular instructional is just such a comprehensive resource that uh, uh, I would highly recommend. And plus I you know I, I would reckon there are probably a, there's a probably pretty decent segment of the jiu-jitsu community that really doesn't want to directly give me money but they're happy to give money to Stefan, and so you should you should totally get the instructional for that reason yeah
0: and of course if you don't want to give either of these fuckers money you can give us money at patreon.com slash bjj mental models although i cannot promise that i will teach you the two-on-one drag quite effectively uh, i will say though in regards to the grapple art stuff i mean to this day you know it used to be the case when i started out that really it was like Stefan kesting or bust right he was kind of the only guy in the game that was making educational content i mean flash forward now there's everyone and their dog has instructionals out there there's platforms where people can launch their own stuff but even in that very very red ocean stefan's grapple arts content remains my favorite simply because the effort he puts into the information architecture just structuring the stuff organizing it making it findable is it just it is simply above and beyond everyone else and it's not even close right i mean yes if you go to BJJ fanatics there's a lot of quantity on there um, but quantity is not always better right if you're dropping hundreds and hundreds of dollars on a 10-hour instructional series and you're not able to use it as a reference because there's no way to jump into what you wanted to find like, what what exactly are you paying for? Right, paying for an instructional that you're never going to watch and you can't reference is just wasted time and money. Whereas I find that the grapple art stuff, especially, is just so well organized that I find I keep going back to it over and over again. And it's also hard to beat on price, right? I mean, Stefan does a really really good job.
1: Just to give a little bit of background on the process, like uh the an instructional that Stefan and I will do will start out with. You know, we we pick a topic that, you know, we both feel that I can give some value to and then his uh, audience uh, might respond to. And then I will spend, uh, you know, a couple of months designing it, like coming up with how I think it should be laid out. And then I'll send a draft to Stefan and then we'll go back and forth until we figure out a layout that he believes is optimal for his audience uh, and so we have a pretty extensive like shooting script that we will uh, alter, uh, and then we'll film the instructional. And unlike some other producers, it it doesn't go on market the next weekend because there's an <laughs> extensive editing process. And if we find during that process, of which you know, Stefan will watch the instructional and figure out whether it flows. You know, on this last one, he did um, message me and say, "Hey, you know, there's a segment here." that we didn't really cover Uh, and so for those of you that get the instructional you'll notice that there are clips in there that are filmed after the fact not with me and Stefan but with me and Rory at my academy going over some of these details that were then added to the instructional so like uh, the bottom line is Stefan cares so much about the product I care so much about the product that we're willing to put in a bunch of extra work to make sure that the thing is actually as usable as possible.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So I'd suggest, you know, give it a shot. It's definitely a much uh, lower cost investment than a lot of the celebrity instructionals you can get out there. Um, it's uh, For me, it's always a much easier impulse buy to pick up on a Stefan's instructionals because I, I don't have to worry about like whether it's equivalent to a car down payment to get one of these things. I, I like the fact that these things are priced for regular people. So please do give it a shot if you haven't already. I mean, I, I get nothing out of this. I get no affiliate fee or referral code and no one's paid me to say this stuff. I just, as someone who is for a long time followed stefan's and rob's work i suggest you give it a go and of course support us too
1: (laughs) i think you and i are buying very different cars if that's a car down payment
0: (laughs) (laughs) well i mean i was the other day i i don't want to name names but i saw on bjj fanatics that someone had put out an instructional for like 1300 us dollars and it's like okay that is a fucking preposterous amount of money for a jujitsu instructional i don't want to take away from anyone's experience i don't want to downplay the value of anyone's worth i know probably people get value out of it but like that is a that is a ludicrous amount of money to play to pay for a digital instructional so stefan will not charge you that much as far as i know
1: i sure hope not (laughs)
0: all right well thanks a lot everyone for checking this out um again of course if you want to write in ask uh, questions you guys know how to get a hold of me bjjmentalmodels.com easy contact form there to shoot me a message as well as a link to the podcast stuff to our premium stuff to a database of terms rob in addition to people checking out the stuff on grapple arts and uh, bjj concepts how can people get a hold of you if they want to ask you any questions
1: uh i'm on instagram uh, at island top team uh and uh you know uh, island top Topteam.com is my school. You can email uh, through there. It will eventually get to me. My manager will route anything uh, to me that isn't about like student inquiries, anybody inquiring about uh, our, our visiting student program, which I guess I didn't mention that. Once the world gets back to normal and you are vaccinated... Uh, You can visit uh, Island Top Team and train for free and stay for free for one week. If you contact us, we'll find a spot for you. Uh, A visiting student program is something I've really missed during COVID, but I think it's coming back within the next few months. So, yeah,
0: check that out awesome well thanks everyone for taking the time to pay attention to us here today um hope this was a fun bonus episode rob big thanks for dropping by always appreciate you coming on here and chilling your stuff and hey i'm glad that your mom's internet is working today (laughs) thank you so much all right take care man talk to everyone else soon bye